0: Hi, I'm Naomi Castro, and this is the Castro Pod. This season, I talk with college presidents and nonprofit leaders who figured out some things. What things? Big things. Important things. Things that have a real impact on actual real people. And I want to learn how they do it. So, I'm in this working group with a lot of people, and we're trying to figure out how to get this pathway for engineering tech going, and how to make it work across a few colleges and like a dozen high schools. We are in it. We're coming up with ideas, we're thinking out loud, it is totally flowing. And there's this guy I don't know who's off to the side, and he's writing everything we're saying down on this really big chart, and I'm thinking, this guy's good. I wonder what his job is. Well, he was the vice president. That was Greg Peterson. Greg is humble. He totally rolls up his sleeve and jumps right in. And he has the big picture. So pull up a chair, relax, and listen in on our conversation. So getting started. I am here in beautiful, sunny Arizona. It's like 100 degrees outside. (laughs) We always meet in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) With a dear friend of mine, um, Greg Peterson, who is now the president of Chandler Gilbert Community College. Congratulations. This is your... Rounding out your first year. Yep. My
1: first year just ended.
0: Fantastic. But... um, but you weren't always a community college president. <laughs> we met when you were vice president of student services at Long Beach. Right. And you did amazing things after and amazing things before. Can you, can you just kind of summarize like, what was your journey? How did you end up here? How'd you start?
1: Well, you know, it's uh you know how it is in the world of community colleges. There's no direct path. So we all kind of wander in at some point. And I ended up uh, going back to high school, I grew up in a working class community. Uh, I knew first generation. Um, I knew that we couldn't afford college. I didn't know anything about uh, financial aid, and so I didn't apply to any universities when I graduated. I showed up at the local community college, uh, waited an hour with my transcript to meet with the the counselor. I I uh, showed up, sat down with the counselor, and, and I did pretty well in high school. And he looked at my transcript and he said, "What do you want to be?" I said, "I want to be an elementary t- teacher." And he said, "No, you don't." And I'm seventeen year old. I said I don't, and he said, "No, you don't." I'm like, "Okay, so what do I want to be?" And he said, uh, "Well, you'd have to come back. That that's a longer conversation. You have to come back to reschedule." So that sent me on a. Clearly, someone with authority told me I could not be an elementary teacher, so I gave up on that dream. Um, but I was still interested in education, um, and ended up wandering through. Um, uh, went, uh, went to a two year um, transferred to a four year. And along that way, I ended up working a summer, um, at a factory, a furniture factory. Um, and I worked with a group of adults who were immigrants, um, and many of them had education, but it didn't transfer in our country. Um, I hated that job. It was the worst job ever. And I saw that this was their life, um, and the extra shifts they were picking up. And so I, I, grew this love for adults and adult learning Um, And ended up uh, teaching English as a second language while in college, Uh, uh, traveled a little bit after and and taught abroad, Um, and then decided, I came back and worked on my master's degree in dual education at Portland State. And uh, during that time, I was working at at Portland Community College, teaching English as a second language, uh, and saw that the majority of my students, they all wanted a college degree um, and maybe one would ever statistically make it into college level coursework. Um, and none of them would ever statistically get a completed degree. And so I started thinking about systems and structures. Um, and that inspired me to uh, look into a doctoral program. Um, I didn't know what that meant. So I kind of went and Googled it. (laughs) (laughs) I was fortunate enough to find the university of Texas at Austin and end up going there and learning. And at that, in that program, um, that's when they they said everyone in this program is going to be a college president i had never thought about that before uh, and so um i uh, we got exposed to a lot of presidents um we we uh learned the bigger picture of what happens in higher education what it means to be an open access institution um, and so that, that really set me on the tra- trajectory of then moving into administration um, into student services. I uh, worked in, as a vice president in student services at a couple different institutions, then spent a year as a vice president of academic affairs, and then moved into this position.
0: Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and, what, and what convinced you to leave sunny, temperate California? For, I mean, Arizona is beautiful. I grew up I went to high school and college, uh, in Arizona. So I say that tongue in cheek, Arizona is very beautiful, but it's, it's hot. It is. And you're, you have fair skin for anyone who doesn't know, Greg, you're, you're a ginger, you have fair skin. I, I, my skin mends just
1: three colors. So glow in the dark, white, red and purple. That's, That's all I can handle. The, for me, it was, um, what I've learned about leadership is that it's a lonely path. Um, and so I needed to choose places, if I was going to become a president, You needed to choose places where I had um, a support network. Um, and I've got two brothers here in Phoenix. Um, I looked in at opportunities in Southern California where I had a network. Um, and then I looked up in Portland where I have family as well. So those were the three areas I said, okay, if I'm going to look at opportunities. Um, and then the opportunity came here and I started doing research. And, you know, it's about finding the right quirky. And Chandler Gilbert is my quirky. So um, it was a good fit.
0: That's great. Yeah. And I appreciate it because I come out at least once or twice a year. And so it's close enough that we get to visit.
1: <laughs> well, and we need to get you to come out in November.
0: <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Okay, next time. <laughs> so in my preparation and in my like kind of learning about leadership, um, and I'm, I'm looking into both community college leadership, um, but also nonprofit leadership. Uh, one of the things that became obvious right away is that effective leaders are always learning. Um, And so I'm wondering, is there, is there some new frontier that you're learning about right now? Or is there a particular book or a podcast or something that you're like really getting into?
1: I'm, I'm a hodgepodge. So I start I start a book, read a couple chapters, get distracted, pick up something else, read a couple, get distracted. The um for me, uh the last full book I read was Radical Candor. Oh. Um which I absolutely loved. Um and it, it's um it's a framework for uh for caring direct conversation, communication, um which uh, especially in, in our district um So Chandler Gilbert is it's the nicest place to work. People are so kind, um, and, and there's a sense of family and a sense of belonging. Like you, you never get a, you never get a mean email <laughs> at each other. government. <laughs> you know, people are just they're just they care, um, and that causes issues sometimes around conflict. So when we we don't talk about certain things because it might hurt someone's feelings, and so this idea of radical candor that you can um, that you're actually doing better by people when you're honest with them and you can say it in ways that um that might might carry some pain because life carries pain but um that isn't intended to inflict pain
0: that sounds like a good read i'm i'm getting all these great recommends and so i'm going to put them in all the program notes and everything but uh, my list of to reads is getting higher and higher i've been trying to practice mindfulness more and I have, you know, I have an app and it's very, very helpful. I highly recommend. But um uh from I, I tend to be conflict averse in certain situations, um especially around work. And uh I went through a, a meditation course that was really talking about um, conflict as a place of growth, like when we're pushing on the edges, when we when we've uncovered this, um, this conflict um, that that's where we grow, that's where we learn that's yeah. where we overcome obstacles so to really try to shift my mindset when there's a, an approaching conflict to say like, you know, oh great <laughs> we, we, we uncovered this problem that we have now that we know what it is, we can work through it together or we can figure this out or, you know, we can grow after this as opposed to like the heavy chest, you know, and the, the headache or the, you know, whatever. So.
1: It's interesting. Um, I am, uh, so for me, I'm learning that, um, I I'm too theoretical. I think too much. And so what's helped me is really grounding myself in physical activity. And, um, so what I've done this, so learning, uh, a different type of learning this last six months, I've been doing more gymnastics and I've been learning a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm not a flexible person. I just, I, uh, so it's been a lot of stretching. It's been a lot of, of working through pain. Um, it's been frustrating because it's not my skill set. This is not where I've been, uh, successful in the past. Um, it, but for me, it's, uh, it's a, it's a practical application to the, the conflict that we experience at work. So when I'm in a moment at work, I think about, okay, Greg, this morning, remember that stretching, remember how the stretching hurt as you went through it, but then it got you in a better place after, right? Um, you know, it's, 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 it helps ground me in my thinking, um, uh, uh instead of um getting so caught up in the moment of whatever that emotion is in the conflict um gaining some external perspective that i can relate it back to has helped me
0: oh that sounds very helpful yeah i i in, in interviewing different folks um at, le- at least a few of them so far have said that they they work out just as part of their well-being as part of balancing the work that they do um Uh, one person works out five days a week. Another person says he works out, I think every single day and, and, and trains, and you know, some folks train for specific kinds of races or triathlons or mud races or things like that. And uh, ever since I've known you, you've been involved in fitness. Um, what are other kinds of, um, physical, mental things that you do that might not appear to be directly related to your work, but really help you to be an effective leader?
1: So I, I, um, I set up routines. Um, so I have, uh, you know, I get my sleep. First and foremost, um, I, I sleep a lot.
0: How many hours?
1: So at least seven to eight.
0: Well, fantastic. Right,
1: And it's the, and I know I have friends who say, um, how can you get, how can you get your work done? Well, if I, if I sleep, I actually get more done in a shorter period of time. So, so I take that time. Um, you know, when I was at Long Beach, uh, I would intentionally leave work. So I would schedule a workout um, at 6 o'clock, no, 5.30 or 6 o'clock. So I had to leave work. And then I would work out, clear my mind, and then go back and do a little bit more work. Um, so really building in some of those those intentional breaks. Um, I, uh, I I read uh, something fiction. <laughs> I always have <laughs> something. So I uh, I find I was trying to do... Um, um, audible, uh, right. The, and listen to books as I traveled. Now I have a little bit more commute when I go into the district office. And so I thought, Oh, this is a great opportunity to listen to books. And I've learned, I can't listen to nonfiction when I drive because I have this horrible tendency where I hear something and then I start thinking about it. And then all of a sudden the, the chapter's over <laughs> and I missed the end of the chapter because I was processing what inspired what I heard.
0: Or maybe you missed your exit. Is that- yeah, that's, that's happened
1: multiple <laughs> times. So I'll do, um, so I just finished uh, re-listening to Harry Potter. I, things that, that I don't have to, uh, things I, I don't that allow me to think differently.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And then I noticed, I I remember when I first saw you coming into a meeting with a gallon of water, are you still doing a gallon a day?
1: I do. I try to do at least a gallon a day, especially in the summers here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And yeah, sleep and water, are I think, are my personal deficit areas that I am working on. (laughs) Do you track your, do you like use a Fitbit or any kind of tracker?
1: So I was doing, um, I used to just, for my watch, was a heart rate monitor, uh, monitor and I would uh, track everything that way. And then that that died. And so I got myself the, a new Apple Watch, which I, I don't like as much. It, the tracking isn't as accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do, uh, I'm, I'm a little OCD, so I have an Excel spreadsheet. So <laughs> I plan my week out every week, and then I go back and I monitor my goals in a spreadsheet, um, you know, I, uh, I prep all my food every, every night before I go to bed, I prep all my food. Um, and so the next morning I wake up and I have all of my meals for the day and I have my water set out. So, you know, if I, I, it's all the preparation in advance. I find that if, if it, it's not, when I wake up in the morning, if it's not just there for me to take, then life happens and,
0: and it's tacos for lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or I, I just don't drink water. The, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I plan I'm I'm a little CD, so I, I plan to to be at home so I can you know, you know be in bed by ten thirty. Right. And so that's that it's it's planning in advance. So people ask me, what are you doing Thursday night? Well <laughs> I think in my mind, well I have a ten thirty appointment. <laughs> you know, the uh, um so it's I, I think it's I, I think sometimes when we think of work, we're really deliberate in how we use our time at work. Um, and then we're completely unstructured and, and non-deliberate in how we use our personal time, and we need to be more deliberate in how we use our personal time.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we've talked before about being more effective, so that like so you can schedule downtime. Yeah. Like I am, it is Sunday. I am not touching work at all, and then my mind will be fresh, and I'll be more effective on Monday. Yeah. Or or sometimes I will deliberately sometimes do some work on a Saturday. But it's because I know doing that and I'll try to allot time to it. Like I'm going to give myself X number of minutes or hours uh, because I know I will have a much more relaxed Monday morning because of that. So, again, it's that advanced planning. It's like I'm doing this on purpose. I'm not doing it to catch up or, you know, because it's an emergency or... But those things happened. <laughs> yeah,
1: <right. laughs> that's life.
0: <laughs> that's life. That's life. Okay. Well, this is great. So I, I actually want to move a little bit more into um, one of the main questions that motivated me to even start reaching out to leaders and, and talking to them. And that's this question of, um, uh, of finding a gold, Goldilocks zone um, with the folks that you hire and your institution. So an institution or an organization, um, if it was, you know, in the private sector, it could be your brand, right? We we have maybe an approach that makes us different. We have maybe a a philosophy, a mission statement, you know, those kinds of things that are unifying. We do it this way because we think this is the best way. Um, The larger the institution, sometimes the harder it is to pull that together. Um I know uh, one college I work with in the LA area. Um they have at least their student services division has uh, a, an amazing approach called uh, the um cultural community wealth model. Um that was developed by this amazing critical race theorist. Um but uh, uh and, and so it's like okay, we all believe that our community is full of assets. Uh, and that we're here to help them, um, build on those assets. Um, and there's, there's some things that they're missing too, you know, and that's our job is to help, help fix that, right. Or help, um, uh, augment that. Um, but, but we also hire very autonomous mission driven people, right. So to, you don't go into education for the big bucks, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you go into education because you're mission driven. Um, uh, and, and so that often, not always, but often there's a high level of autonomy mm-hmm. that's expected or that's how they operate. And these two things potentially could be in conflict with each other, right? This is our mission or this is our approach. We do it this way, but then you have these autonomous folks who are like, Yeah, 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 let me just do my job. Don't bother me with that stuff. So is there how do you find that kind of Goldilocks zone between balancing those two or 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 is this a false dichotomy?
1: Well, I think the so if you're focusing on the how then it is a real dichotomy right? the um, if and and sometimes especially when you talk at the um, middle management operational management level um, it's really about how uh, and uh, you know what strategy do we employ when you bring in individuals who have expertise who are thinking more independently uh, the struggle is always around the how uh, if you can build uh, Spaces where you're focused on the, the why, um, and the what the, um, so, so for example, with my team, you know, I try to say regularly, you know, I don't care how we get there. I'll give you that space of how we get there, but we have to get there. So let's first talk about where we're going like, uh, and how will we know that we've arrived? I think it's one of the biggest challenges as we talk about, especially in mission driven, um, what's our mission to make the world a better place? okay, I saw a rainbow today. I told someone about it. I've made the world a better place. (laughs) (laughs) How do do we measure that? Um, and when we, especially in community colleges, uh, when we're seen as being everything to everyone, um, then, then we, we have used that as an excuse not to build in metrics, Mm. um, not not to, um, push ourselves to focus, to say, you know, what's going to have the greatest impact for our community? Um, so I so I think that's the the first space there is, uh, if if we emphasize the what's the outcome we're trying to get to and how are we going to know we've gotten there, um, that then that creates space for individuals to be autonomous and working. Um, that's where you can say, uh, my style is this way, and I can actually have a conversation or organize this here and it'll get me to the same result that if you do it a different way, you'll get there. It also gives you space to say, um, well, guess what, Greg? Um, Naomi's way uh, actually worked twice as, as well as yours did. <laughs> so either you rethink your model and adjust it. Um, so if it it's more like Naomi's or you adopt Naomi's, right? It allows to have some of those conversations about where autonomy makes sense Um, And then where do we do things when we've realized that they work?
0: That's it. You make it sound simple.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, we don't, we don't think that way. Yeah. Um, So a lot of it is, is pushing ourselves to be disciplined, to focus on where we're trying to go, Um, having the conversation about what's the greatest impact. One thing that helps me, uh, especially in our world is, so Chandler Gilbert does a lot of great things. It's very innovative, but it's allowed people to be innovative in pockets. right? Um, and we haven't had a structure to say, okay, so what's having an impact. And so what do we, what create, what do we create into the default experience for students instead of who is lucky? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's been, uh, my sister-in-law, um, went back to school. So she's currently at Mesa. Uh, my, when I'm uh, so my trainer, um, I've convinced him he's going back to school.
0: Excellent. <laughs> so uh,
1: he's at one of the other colleges and, um, and, and this is what I try to do in my life. Anyone I touch, um, I try to give them, you know, get them back into one of the colleges. Uh, what do I, what experience do I want them to have? And as the president, if, I, if, they benefit from the privilege of knowing me and I'm getting those experiences, then shouldn't those experiences be the default for every student? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's that's what helps me when we start getting uh, into the space of, well, there's lots of great ideas and we're doing a lot of great work. I come back to, but for the people I love and care about, what experience do I want them to have? And so when we talk about equity, isn't that what we're providing? Shouldn't
0: that be what we're providing for all of our students? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> well, that also brings me to this um another kind of difficult place for, for um, college leaders, for nonprofit leaders is uh, when it comes to really hard decisions. and so the the way this question goes 90% of the time, not in my interviews, for other folks is, you know, how do you make a hard decision? You have two things that are polar opposites and, oh, we come to a compromise or we take the best of either one. But reality is sometimes you can't do that. Yeah. Sometimes you have to pick one of amongst three things and they're all really good and you can't combine and you can't for, for whatever reason, right? Or sometimes you have to pick one, only one of like three really bad ideas and you don't want to do any of them, but, uh, whatever parameters or constraints or mandates you have, you, you have to. So how do you do Like when you have to pick something and, and you don't have the luxury of crafting something beautiful that everyone is bought into and <laughs> is great. How do you do that?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, for me, the first piece is the authenticity through that process. Um, I think leaders get tripped up when they feel like they have to uh, suck up the, or ignore, or um, minimize the real f- emotional feelings that are in that uh, that you're experiencing in that. I um I feel like so for example, uh, I think the the one where we have uh, less less than stellar options (laughs) happens more frequently where we have to choose between two less than stellar options or three less than stellar options. Um, and I find that when I create the space that says, look, let's all be honest. We have three less than stellar options, right? If we had all the time in the world, if we wanted to do that, you know, I, as I look at your minds and where your hearts are, this is not what we envisioned that we would be deciding on. You know, acknowledging that space, helping people be able to feel um and um and legitimizing those feelings around that. It's the same when you have two great options and we can only choose one, really taking the time to value and legitimize the the sense of loss and not being able to do the other great thing. Uh, you know, we don't spend enough time helping helping individuals process through. What we're experiencing. So I think that's critical is giving the space to do that. Um, you know, there's, there's different strategies for how you then ultimately you choose which one. Um, and I think that just varies based on context and pieces. Um, I I think though to be successful in those things, it's, it's managing the experience. So, um, once you've made the decision, right then especially if it's a lousy, it's one of a lousy option, then I own it. Right. It then it becomes the decision I made. Not that the the college made. It's the and I'll explain to people I say, you know, we didn't have a lot of good options. And so this was this was my decision. Um that helps again people feel like um there's this truth out there. Right. That they don't that it's okay, it's okay to be a little upset about how things turned out, and still move forward. The, um, so again, creating that space where uh, it's okay to feel. There's le- You legitimize feelings, um, but do it in a way that doesn't impede the actual progress moving forward. Um, and too often, I think we expect individuals to turn off those emotions. Well, now we've made a decision, and now we'll have to own it. So even though it's a credit decision, we all know it's a credit decision, you can't tell anyone it's a credit decision. <laughs> and you can't feel that it's a credit decision, right? It's now the best thing in the world. Um, and I think it's it's fair, I mean, you can't always say this is a credit decision, but um, I think it's fair to, to make sure you're, you're building spaces where those that have to carry those decisions can, um, uh, can feel authentic in how, um, how that came to be, um, and, and where we're moving with it.
0: And there's a, there's a chance that that can be man, that can be very mismanaged, right? So I've seen, okay, we, we've taken this decision. We were almost forced into it or, you know, we were forced into making one of two bad choices. And so we made the one, um, and okay, so let's get everybody's feelings out about it and then move on and pretend like it, you know, like, okay, that's done. It's a past chapter. And that can make people feel resentful. So, yeah. So, so making them managing the whole process, not just like, here's the, here's the bomb I'm dropping on you. Here's my listening session. Okay, done. But the, the all the process before that is that?
1: Yes. The, um, so thinking about, um, a, um, a development, uh, a path. So, uh, that, that you're starting whenever you're facing a, a big decision, you start at one point and you're going to end up someplace else. Um, so how do you walk with someone along that path till they get to the end point? Um, and it's not, it's not the, so you're at point A, you're going to vent. We're going to give you 30 seconds or we're going to give you an hour to vent. And then somehow that, then you're going to have to walk by yourself the rest of the way to the end point. It's thinking through, um, so you're going to have some initial feelings now, right? So let's, let's talk through those. You're probably going to be in some denial. (laughs) And now let's get to the anger stage. Okay. So you've gone through the anger stage and we need some venting, but once we go to the anger stage, that's you not know, the end of the process. Yeah. So, so now we need to step back and what's the next step that will help you in the acceptance. And in that acceptance should really be emphasizing, um, you probably feel some loss and that's okay. And we're all moving through this together and we did lose something. Um, and, but there's hope for the future. You know, it's, it's helping, um, uh, feel through. And then to that point where I feel like I've, um, um, I've come through it and we're now in a new uh, position and we can start moving forward. So we're ready then to take, start where we are and move to the next destination. The too often as leaders, we get so focused on the, the, the area the the technical functional component that we forget, especially in um, education. And I would say most, most nonprofits, we're all about people. Um, I mean, everything we spend is on people. Everything we do is for people. You know, um, even the non-people things we do, we only do them because of people. So we need to, we need to spend more time thinking about the experiences of people. That's how, that's how we move institutions. That's how we, we work through, um, uh, innovation, um, how we create new structures, how we transform, um, we create spaces where individuals feel empowered and feel, um, uh, energized and safe to do different things.
0: They're empowered. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, that was pretty heavy. <laughs> we're we're going to switch gears to, I need to work on my transitions. We're going to switch gears to stuff that's a little bit lighter. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you recommended a book earlier, so that's fantastic. Um, we talked about routines. You talked a little bit about your morning routine. Do you make your bed in the morning? I do. Yeah,
1: I do. So I, am. Um, so I wake up, especially I've learned as a president, um, life always happens so i work out in the morning so i wake up at 4:20 uh i i lay i lay everything out in advance cuz that way i i roll out of bed at 4:20 my clothes are there i just put my clothes on brush my teeth and get in the car and go to the gym um and then i come back and um i build a little time so that i can do some meditation reflection um i'll, I'll read a, um uh, scriptures, um, do a quick look at my day, get, get my time to prep and get in the right ma- uh, mindset. Um, and then get ready for work and then I'll go to work. Um, so that's kind of how I start my day.
0: That's great. Yeah. And then, and we hear how you end you, You've told us how you end your day. <laughs> you have a 1030 appointment. I do. I have for a 1030. For <laughs> <laughs> Is there is there a playlist or a song that you're, you're listening to a lot now lately?
1: You know, it's funny is I, um, I love, um, uh, alternative. So I'll listen to, um, I I love the beat. I love the crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I listen to that a lot. Um, but I've done a lot of Broadway. (laughs) Excellent. So, um, uh, Dear Evan Hansen, um, I don't know this. It's um, it, it, it's uh, it's a story um, that talks a lot about suicide. Um, uh. That talks about um, truths and relationships and pieces. Um, but there's songs. There's a lot of songs there about um, uh, not being alone. Um, so it does tend to run through my head a lot. Um, you know about caring, thinking for others. Uh, um, so I, I think it's where, um, my head's been lately kind of in that space. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, um, we had some good uh, Disney remakes come out lately. So, <laughs> so a lot of the Aladdin, Lion King, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I use my niece and nephew's excuses, but I'd listen to it without them. <laughs>
0: I was in the car this morning with my six-year-old niece. We were blasting Taylor Swift. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, and my, my 11-year-old has been singing every single song from Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. But that's not what you listen to when you work out. What do you listen to when you work out? Oh,
1: I listen to al- Alternative. Yeah. Something fast, uh, um, something, something with a beat.
0: I've started uh, measuring my run. I don't run as often as I would like to, uh, but when I run, I measure not in distance, but um, I just keep the extended remix of "Bangarang" by Skrillex. <laughs> it it's just on repeat, and so I know I've gone about a mile. It, it takes me like three and a half "Bangarangs" to go a mile. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> I wish I could go a little faster, but we'll see. Okay, so I have a, a couple of rapid-fire questions. Don't think too much about it. Um, coffee or tea? Tea. What kind of tea?
1: Um, uh, I just got a uh, um, coca, coca tea. Oh, um, so I was just in uh, in Peru, ah, and so for altitude, yeah, which is wonderful,
0: fantastic. Uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Uh, Beatles. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, chocolate
1: chip cookie dough.
0: <laughs> and what is the best $100 or less you've ever spent?
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one.
1: It's a tough one. So, um I I'm, I'm a bit of I like to call it connoisseur, but it's really snob when it comes to chocolate. And um my uh, my brother and I, we did a trip to Germany and we spent ninety dollars on chocolate and brought a home a full <laughs> carry on completely full of of Swiss, German, Austrian, uh and uh eight, eight, forty percent of it, gave sixty percent of it away. And it was heaven.
0: <laughs> well that's funny because my last question is what's your guilty pleasure? Uh, it's definitely dark chocolate. <laughs> Is there a particular domestic brand you might, or something that's available domestically uh, that you so, might?
1: So I would say the, um, uh, so of course Dove, Dove Dark Chocolate is a good staple. Um, you can find uh, Ritter, R-I-T-T-E-R. Um, they do a great dark chocolate peppermint um, and they do a milk chocolate coconut, which is really good. Um, and then of course, um, uh, Ghirardelli and Lindt are always good for fallbacks as well.
0: I, I wish this was videotaped because your eyes just light up when you talk about <laughs> dark
1: chocolate. No, it's, it's going to be my, so I have two friends. It's two, uh, one of my friends who left the community college world and became a chocolate, uh, chocolatier.
0: That's um, possible. That's uh-huh. a pathway. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and then another who, uh, another friend of mine who is also uh, a chocolatier, um, and has just uh, is is booming into corporate um, and creating. Um, so, I, so my goal is to find enough friends that I can find some service job I can do in supporting their industry.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah, but no time soon.
1: No, 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 no. That, that'll be retirement in twenty three years. Sure, excellent, something like that.
0: I approve. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, thank you so much. This has been lovely. I really appreciate your time. Thank
1: you. This was fun.
0: Life happens, and we know that, so plan around it. Well, maybe you aren't ready to get up at 4.20 in the morning, but Greg is. The book Greg recommended, Radical Candor, which I read soon after this interview, that and links to some of the things, including the chocolates he mentioned, are all in the show notes. And you can check out the transcripts at castropod.com.